It's Daily Thunder, thundering out the truth of Jesus Christ live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more about our discipleship programs or to support this podcast, visit ellerslie.com. Now, here's Eric Looney. We are uh, part 31 uh, of our Spiritual Lessons from World War II series. This one's called The American Supply. Uh, For those of you that can see me live, uh, you're going to notice that I have sort of a strange contraption on my head. We've been joking that this is my Britney Spears look, but uh, I don't know if that's as humorous in Christian circles as it would be elsewhere. Uh, But, uh, which I'm not trying to look like Britney Spears. It's for audio quality, we decided we were gonna try this. I have been against this, so has Nathan, against the headset uh, for a long time, but uh, now I have one. So, uh, and it feels really weird because I've been holding a microphone in front of me for decades, like daily for decades. So this is a really weird experience for me to be talking and uh, not have a microphone in my hand. So my clicker may become my microphone a couple times. I wanted to point out the date, May 20th, 2020. Isn't that a cool date? There's something about that that's pretty cool. 320s uh, in in that. Uh, But that has nothing to do with my message. It's just sort of a cool uh, nuance to today. But uh, the American Supply so we are at the very conclusion of uh, 1941. It, we've been lingering in 1941 for a long time, but we are right smack in the middle of World War II. So World War II is going to start in the end of 1939. And to just give you some context, uh, Winston Churchill is going to come into uh, the position as prime minister in uh, May of, two, of, of 1940. And uh, that's right, it's going to be right where the big clash begins because uh, World War II is going to start with uh, Germany's invasion of Poland. Uh, and yet that's just one more thing in a series of crimes that uh, the Nazis have been committing. And in 1940, you're going to see the breakout of disaster uh, when the Germans invade Belgium, Netherlands, and France. And actually, we watch France fall like a house of cards. This is one of the most powerful nations in all of world history. France. I mean, France is unstoppable, unbeatable, especially on their own territory and turf, and yet they're going to fall in weeks. And so this is a pretty enormous travesty because their ally, Great Britain, is left alone. And so Great Britain is in a crisis uh, that when you hear Winston Churchill describe it, uh, it's deeply moving because you, you, you can feel it. You can feel how vulnerable this little island nation is because now it's like all across the English Channel, just 20 miles uh, to the east, you have this menace. And the, the Nazis are sort of a great picture to us of uh, demonic powers. I don't know if, you know, I'm German, so I can, I can say that. Uh, but the Nazis and Germans, I think all of us that are German like to separate ourselves from the Nazis. They're just like, bad, evil, you know, terrible stuff, whereas the rest of us that are just German, you know, hey, w- there's some redemptive uh, possibilities here. So uh, we are, because of this, it's going to s- uh, signal a, a chain of, or a chain reaction. Uh, Great Britain is in a desperate situation to be able to survive, and it has been you know, scrapping and scraping, it is able to endure the Battle of Britain's extraordinary stories. We've walked through that in our, in our series. But, uh, and somehow, my, uh, there, my, my 
is flickering on and off. I don't know if this is like practical joke. It's not April 1st, right? So, uh, all right, guys. Uh, is this a new feature to the morning, or is this just an extra technical uh, glitch that we have? Uh, no, it's, it's up there now, so I can continue. Of course, it's just the title slide, so it's not that big of a deal. Hopefully, I can remember my title. Uh, but we are in a, a season where Great Britain is in desperate need of help. And so they call across the Atlantic Ocean to uh, the Americans. President Franklin Roosevelt is very empathetic, very sympathetic. And what President Roosevelt is going to do for uh, the, the British people is remarkable, actually. When you study it in history, there's nothing like it. That a nation that has really nothing to gain other than the desire for world peace, right, is going to sacrifice great amounts of its own resource to support Great Britain against this menace. So it's actually a profound picture of self-sacrifice, but everything is going to change uh, with two major events in 1941. Operation Barbarossa, where the Germans are going to invade Russia. That's going to be one of our key things. And then Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, when the Japanese invade America. And you could say, well, how does that affect things? Well, because once Germany invades Russia, Russia is not expecting it. They were actually sort of allying with Germany. And Germany didn't, they, they secretly wanted to stab Russia in the back. So they lured them into a confidence and a trust. I mean, these are two evil leaders, right? You have Stalin and Hitler, and so you don't know who to cheer for in this, right? And yet, when Stalin is struck, when he is stabbed in the back by Hitler with an onslaught called Operation Barbarossa, which we've gone through, uh, I think that message is called Operation Redbeard, if you want to uh, listen to it, but it is a shocker of shocks. And what it does is it puts Russia back on the defensive, and they are being just destroyed. And they are losing millions in the first few weeks even. I mean, it's like a huge uh, crisis. For Great Britain, they actually don't want to see Russia fall to pieces because if all of that Russian territory, all of that Russian resource, all of those Russian soldiers fall into German hands, well, then suddenly the Axis powers are stronger than ever. So what they need to do is take their limited resource and begin to funnel it to Russia. Okay, so that's one of the crises because Britain, Great Britain doesn't have a lot. And so it's scraping and scrapping, trying to get its manufacturing plants going to get war materials. But they need to begin to send these things. And then America, who is supplying, is going to reroute their supply to Russia. So now Great Britain is thinner. And so then what happens is uh, December 7th, 1941, you have Pearl Harbor... And now America enters into the war. Now all of those materials that they were giving away because they were not in the war, suddenly you can just sort of feel the tension for Great Britain. It's like, oh no. Uh, it's great having America in the war, but how do we defend ourselves? How do we supply uh, to our soldiers? Because, because of World War I, Great Britain has extreme war debts. And so they do not have just cash on hand to be working with other countries and saying, hey, I'd like uh, you know, a few guns, I'd like a few tanks. They are in a desperate situation. Not a lot of countries can produce those either. So America was their great source, but now Pearl Harbor. So we're at the very end of 1941, and of course, I haven't even gotten past the title slide, the American supply. I'm going to create a link with us. We are in a battle uh, as Christians, and when we look to our own pantry, we oftentimes feel very thin. 
One of the number one things the Spirit of God needs to do in our life is to weaken us the same way Great Britain was weakened. There's something about it that actually creates what we call dependence. And that's going to be one of the key concepts that I want to bring out, which at first sounds like a very negative idea, dependency. The place no one wants. No one, uh, not one of us is going to choose if, if I could be independent or if I could be dependent. Why, why would we choose dependence? We want to be able to be self-sufficient. We want to stand on our own two feet. But spiritually, the Spirit of God must convince us that without God, we can do nothing. Of course, this is just what the Scriptures teach, but most of us don't start with that as our premise. We have to learn it. So someone could even tell you, apart from God, you can do nothing. You're like, not along, go, yeah, that's good theology, dear brother. However, that doesn't mean you believe it. You actually still may believe that in and of yourself, you can please God. In and of yourself, you can produce righteousness. In and of yourself, you could love your neighbor. In and of yourself, you could rejoice always. In and of yourself, you could overcome sin. I mean, because you don't like sin, right? You want to live for God. Until you recognize that in and of yourself, you are insufficient, you haven't learned the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel unlocks when we recognize our pantry is empty. That what we have is not sufficient to supply for our needs. We have an enemy who is just across the English Channel who is breathing down our throat and desires to destroy us. And we are weak. And so we look elsewhere, which is what God actually wants us to do. He wants us to turn to him. He wants us to turn to his supply. But when you, you've ever had this thought that you look around. I remember being in this big Promise Keepers event, and this is back in the early 90s, and there was like 50,000 men in Folsom Field in Boulder, uh, Colorado. And I remember singing and thinking, how could God hear me in the midst of all this? And it was like this weird thought that how could God consider my needs when he has so many people clamoring after him to help them? You ever had a thought like that? I don't know. Maybe these are just Eric Ludy thoughts. But I remember feeling very small and very insignificant. There's so many other people in this uh, stadium that love Jesus probably more than I do. There's probably people here that have greater needs than I have. So I feel so selfish coming to God and saying, yeah, could you uh, meet my need? This is exactly what Great Britain feels in this situation. Great Britain has an entire commonwealth. You know, so Canada, for instance, is part of their commonwealth. Australia is part of their commonwealth. And so as a result... Canada is able to supply soldiers to Great Britain. So is Australia. So is India. And so who is Great Britain to complain? Okay, they have a lot. Whereas Russia, yeah, they're falling on their face right now. They need American supplies. America, I mean, America needs to defend itself. If, and so Winston Churchill's sort of thinking this through. He's like, yeah, you know what? If I was America, I'd probably have to say, hey, guys, sorry. We can no longer supply for you. We need to take care of ourselves. So many of us, when we look at God, we're thinking, God, I don't want to presume upon you. Okay, I, I know you have a, a lot of things to deal with. You got famine over in Africa. You got, you know, Middle Eastern crises. You got a whole bunch of poor and you got orphans everywhere. And I am rather stable compared to all that. And I, I just don't want to be a drain on you. And that's part of what I want to bring up is the beauty of the gospel. And it comes out in this story. So dependence. It's the place of strength. It's an amazing thought, but when you finally grip what this dependency is, you recognize that this is where we find our strength. God wants us there. He actually wants us dependent. He wants us to see that we are empty-pocketed and empty-pantried. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord 
and in the power of his might. Now, all of us have heard this scripture. I've heard this scripture my entire life. And it was a couple years ago when I was on a prayer walk in the morning and I was just repeating this scripture the entire prayer walk. And it's like, I saw it. Now, it's funny because I could show it to you, but you know what I mean by you see it? Suddenly the Spirit of God just highlights it. Like the heavenly highlighter pen just sort of goes over the text and you see it. I wasn't even reading it. I was meditating upon it and it's like I could see it. Eric, where are you strong? I'm strong in the Lord. It's like, if, imagine I'm in uh, a World War II battle, and I have uh, cotton balls as my uh, weapons, okay? And I got these nasty uh, Nazis over there, and so I throw my uh, cotton ball. They have machine guns. They have mortar shells. I mean, I am vulnerable at every turn. My weapons are insufficient to fight. Have you ever thrown a, a, a cotton ball? You could throw it as hard as you want, and it just doesn't go very far, right? It doesn't have the weight to it. Now, imagine that there's a, a tank over there, and they have a loudspeaker on it, like a little speaker system. And some of my own buddies have gotten into the tank, and they're like shooting uh, you know, these very strong uh, pulses out, <laughs> blowing up uh, enemy forces from this tank. I mean, this thing's strong, right? And they basically say, Eric, you can be a lot stronger in this tank than you are out there by yourself. So get in the tank and you will find that you have might. You see, that's exactly what it is with Christianity, is we can try with our own cotton balls to take on this great enemy, or we can get in the tank. This tank is built, and what's funny is, I mean, a tank could be blown up in World War II. I mean, it is possible. It's hard, but it's possible, right? If you drop a direct hit from, you know, an airplane on a, you know, a missile on one of those tanks, yeah, you can, you know, destroy it. But Jesus is indestructible, which means once you get in uh, Jesus, it's like every fiery arrow, every missile is literally hindered, and it, it deflects. We have the ultimate tank. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. So, and this is the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but it's really God speaking to the Apostle Paul. So I could have said that this was Jesus Christ. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. When you recognize your weakness, uh, now we're talking. Now I can make you strong. When you recognize that your cotton balls are too weak, that weakness is actually your life lesson to get into the tank. And so as a result, your weakness leads to understanding my strength on your behalf. So as a result, Paul begins to see it. And he's like, I get it. I get it. I can actually rejoice when I recognize my weakness because it pushes me into your strength. And I depend and I lean and I allow you to do my fighting for me as opposed to me attempting to do it for myself. Dependence number 1941. Great is desperate for American aid. So I've already prepped you for this, but I'm going to give Winston Churchill's exact words on this. Winston Churchill said, but all our future plans depended upon supplies of all kinds. The Atlantic. We counted planes and tanks, as well as the stupendous American merchant ship construction. Hitherto, as a non-belligerent, the president had been able and willing to divert large supplies of equipment from the American armed forces, since these were not engaged. This process was bound to be restricted now that the United States was at war with Germany, Italy, and above all, Japan. Home needs would surely come first. So this is what Winston Churchill and his war cabinet are discussing on their way across the Atlantic to meet with President Roosevelt. They're just preparing themselves. Okay, we're going to meet, but 
We need to expect that they're going to say, hey, guys, we can't help you like we once did. All right, we're limited now. So they're all sort of feeling it. It's like, oh, this is hard. We, have to, we recognize that they have to take care of themselves, but boy, we really need help right now. Already after Russia had been attacked, we had rightly sacrificed to aid the Soviet armies a large portion of the equipment and supplies now at last arriving from our factories. The United States had diverted to Russia even larger quantities of supplies than we otherwise would have received ourselves. We had fully approved all of this on account of the splendid resistance which Russia was offering to the Nazi invader. It had been nonetheless hard to delay the equipment of our own forces and especially to withhold vitally needed weapons from our army fiercely engaged in Libya. We must presume that America first would become the dominant principle with our ally. We feared that there would be a long interval before American forces came into action on a great scale and that during this period of preparation we should necessarily be greatly straightened. This would happen at a time when we ourselves had to face a new and terrible antagonist in Malaya, the Indian Ocean, Burma, and India. That's the Japanese. Uh, evidently, the partition of supplies would require profound attention and would be fraught with many difficulties and delicate aspects. Already we had been notified that the schedules of deliveries under Lend-Lease had been stopped pending readjustment. So Lend-Lease Lend -Lease is the agreement that Roosevelt had with Churchill. And so this had already been stopped, so they're already forewarned. It's like, uh-oh, that's stopped now. We don't have the agreement of getting supplies from America. Happily, the output of the British munitions and aircraft factories was now acquiring scope and momentum and would soon be very large indeed, but a long array of bottlenecks and possible denials of key items which would affect the whole range of our production loomed before our eyes as our battleship drove on through the incessant gales. So they're on this battleship on their way across the Atlantic and this, these weights are looming for them. So I'm going to introduce you to a character, Lord Beaverbrook. Don't you guys love his name? Uh, in fact, Churchill will always refer to him just as Beaverbrook. And so the, the term Lord Beaverbrook, I'm just giving you so that you have some context. Because if I just said Beaverbrook, it would sound funny to you. It sounds like a Narnian character, doesn't it? But his name is actually Max Aitken, but I had to look that up. It never mentions his name. Churchill, in all, he talks about Beaverbrook all the time never mentions Max Aitken. It's not like, hey, my buddy Max, he's Beaverbrook. That's actually what he was known as. So we need to come up with a name for like Nathan that's sort of like that. Uh, you know, his real name's Nathan Johnson, but we call him Beaverbrook. You know, wouldn't that be fun to have a name like that for Nathan? So, and this guy is sort of like Nathan Johnson, I have to admit. So we could even call this guy Nathan Johnson. But Lord Beaverbrook, his name is Max Aitken. He's the first Baron Beaverbrook. This guy is always positive, always optimistic. So I'm going to give you a comparison just in case you've ever watched old Disney movies. Uh, Beaverbrook equals Pollyanna. Now, if you are live or you're seeing this via the stream, you get to see a really cool picture of Max, Beaver, Max Beaverbrook, Max Aitken Beaverbrook, and you see Pollyanna. And uh, one thing about Pollyanna, I always have loved the story of Pollyanna because no matter what was thrown at her, she had a positive spin on it, right? So this is exactly what's going to happen in these dark moments of meditation, uh, you know, in this battleship across the Atlantic as they're approaching the shores of America, and they're just sort of feeling it, that they are weak and they need supply from America, but they can't expect that America is really going to have what they need, and Beaverbrook is going to step in. Beaverbrook, says Winston Churchill, was, as usual in times of trouble, optimistic, he declared that the resources of the United States had, not, had so far not even been scratched. 
that they were immeasurable and that once the whole force of the American people was diverted to the struggle, results would be achieved far beyond anything that had been projected or imagined. Moreover, he thought the Americans did not yet realize their strength in the production field. All the present statistics would be surpassed and swept away by the American effort. There would be enough for all. Now, I, I took this last portion of Churchill's quote, and I stuck it on the next slide, just so that we could feel the gravity of it. In his judgment, and in this, his judgment was right. Beaverbrook was correct. Beaverbrook is going to be that voice of what we could call the Holy Spirit right now in the situation. Because we have need, guys. We just do. And there's, we look at our need, and it seems so pathetic next to the needs of those in uh, impoverishment during the coronavirus in, in uh, India. Okay, or how about the, those in North Africa where all of their crops are being consumed by locust swarms? Don't you feel a little selfish coming to God and saying, God, but I have needs. It's like, well, your needs are, I mean, are not really that big of a deal because you could go without that for a couple days. I mean, just trim down to you know, two meals a day instead of your four that you have right now, right? With five snacks in there too. Some of you are like, do you think I eat that much or, or is that just me, right? And, and so, I mean, you could trim down a little, Eric. Just tighten the belt a little. You don't need to ask God for that. You see, as Americans, it's a little tricky. We deal with the supply. Of course, it's interesting because the illustration that we have here is the American supply. America is not our supply chain, so I'm not trying to turn us into a welfare state in and through my message right now. But this is symbolic of a party that we are dependent upon. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. He has a reservoir of supply. Most of us have this thought that it's limited. And as a result, when we approach him, we oftentimes approach him a little sideways, a little awkwardly, like, God, I'm so sorry to bother you. When in actuality, he has created a way for us to enter boldly into that throne of grace. Because he says, I know exactly what your life needs. You see, to the degree that you need and have need, he meets it. So imagine that you have, out of 100 points of need, you have 99, okay? Like the, the little child that's sitting on the side of the road in a third world country that has no parents and has no food and no supply. If that little child calls out to the living God, God makes up 99 for it, right? That's what God does. He's a father to the fatherless. Now, the way he does it oftentimes is through us, his body. Right? But that's a side discussion. Now for us, imagine that our need is 20. Okay, We don't have a 99 need, we have a 20 need. So we feel bad even asking, but God wants us to ask. He wants to replenish. He wants to meet the need that we have, and he desires that role in our life. If Hudson, my oldest, were to go to someone down the street, some, some other dad down the street and say, yeah, I, I'm, I'm short $20. Uh, could you help me with this? I really wanted to do this, but you know, I don't have enough money for it. I just want you to ponder for a second how that would make daddy feel. Okay, the daddy of Hudson, how would I feel if Hudson didn't come to me for his needs, but he, came, he went somewhere else? Isn't that just a strange thought? It's like you could say, well, dads don't like to have to dole out money to their kids. Dads desire to be dads. We desire to be needed. We desire to help and to serve. Now that sometimes means, son, I'll give you a few jobs to earn that money, right? Because dads are dads, right? That's what we do. But God does the same. In other words, God 
wants us to understand the value of what he supplies, but he supplies it. So, in Beaverbrook's judgment, he was right. So, Jesus Christ is going to give an illustration of this dependency in John 15:5, a scripture we're all familiar with. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So the mental picture here of the vine, inside of a vine is a living substance. It's like a a, a sap. And when you as a branch, which have no sap in you, enter in and graft into that vine, then you share in that life, that supply. And so that supply is given to the degree of need throughout that vine. In other words, if you're a branch, it's not like, oh, well, this branch needs it all, so that that branch over here is going to get all the sap. No, it spreads to the point where everything of all sap is available everywhere, and anyone who is participating in that life shares in the fullness of it. And that's a beautiful thought. But that's the way we live. That sap is the Holy Spirit. That sap has a name. It's called grace. And so this is how we live as Christians. We live by grace. It's by God's supply for us. We have an insufficient amount of strength in our life, an an insufficient amount of, uh, of love and peace. We cannot muster what we need to, to live out uh, the life of Christ. He supplies and makes up the Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1, 3, to us all things pertain to and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So everything that we need to live this life, he has supplied. That's one of the key things that we need to remember. So as Beaverbrook speaks to us as we are in the battleship making our way across the Atlantic going, God, but do you care about me? We need the Beaverbrook voice to say, we have hardly scratched the surface of what God has supplied for us. You see, we, we think that what we've had so far of a little tingle up our spine, a little joy in our heart from an encounter with God matches what God has made available to us. Most of us have just never entered the treasury. We have never reached up on the shelves and said, but God, this is mine? And you take, you purloin, you, gra- you gain access to that which he has given This is how we show honor to him. Grace is the needed supply. So this word grace, oftentimes for many of us today, just means a hug. It's like, oh, well, God overlooks our weaknesses. When in actuality, it's God taking our weaknesses and empowering us through them. It's the tank. It's the military strength that God supplies. You want to win this battle? You need God's supply chain. You see, when you enter into Christ, that's where you find your strength. When you enter into the tank, that's where you find your armor. When you enter into Christ, you find everything you need for life and godliness. You find grace. So the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. In other words, he understands our situation. He understands our need. He understands what we need to make it through this life. He's not ignorant of that. So many of us approach the throne of grace, we're like, God, I, I, I don't know if you truly understand what it's like to be weak. He's like, no, I do. I don't know that you really understand what it's like to be tempted like I'm being tempted right now. I do. And I know what you need. 
You see, he, as a high priest, supplies for us and makes up the difference. If we need 99 out of 100 points of need, he supplies it. If we need one, he supplies it. He is a difference maker. So as a result, he's a father of the fatherless. He's a husband to the widow. He is supply, 99 points of it, if necessary, to whatever need we have. We have need of a Savior. That Savior is not just to save us from eternal damnation. It's to save us in every one of life's circumstances. God wants to enter into a covenant deal with us. He's like, I see you across the Atlantic, and I see that you need military supply. Everything we have in the American system is, is made for you right now, Great Britain. I want you to know we're not abandoning you. What you're going to see happen in and through the flow of the war is you're going to see America awaken to what it actually is capable of doing. And it's a profound story. It really is of American capitalism, of, of things that happen. I mean, you could make a great story for American capitalism through this. They were in the Great Depression right before World War II. And they're going to explode into a manufacturing juggernaut because of World War II. So I'm not saying that uh, uh, that's not the point of the message. It's just a fascinating statement that Great Britain has need, they have dependency, and the American supply chain is going to explode, and they are going to have more than sufficient. So listen to the second half of this. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, so we have a time of need. What do we need? Grace. Grace to help. So what do we do? We come boldly under the throne of grace. God, I have need. You know, there isn't a day in your life when you don't have need. And so as a result, we learn to live there, not just come there, you know, every few days and go, "Ah, God, I'm back in one of those situations where I'm short $20. We actually just live there. We abide there in his presence. We dwell under the shadow of the Almighty. That is where our life is found. So the pipeline and the gate valve, the access via faith. When we believe in Jesus, and I've given this illustration to the Ellerslie students many times, you, this like pipeline connects us to the throne of grace, and it is chock full, it is pressurized with the life of God, it's the Holy Spirit, it's grace. It is all that God desires to give us, all that he purchased for us at the cross, it's his life, it's his abundance. This is what he came to give us, he came to link us with himself. And so I know it's hard to imagine how a pipeline could be connected to you and you could do like a dance where you twirl around. I mean, it seems like the pipeline would get wrapped around you and you'd get stuck. But it's more like a Bluetooth pipeline is the way we have to sort of look at it because all that is available in heaven somehow is able to transfer here. How it all works, you know, is a little confusing for those of us that think technologically. But even though we have the supply, there's a gate valve on it. Okay, the the pipeline is pressurized. It's all there and available. However, there's a gate valve. It's like one of those big steering wheels, you know, that connects to a valve. And you actually have to choose, deliberately choose to open it. And that's faith. You have to know that God has given you what you need and then you ask. You receive. You see, many of us are like, God, why do I feel so thin if you're such a great God? Well, it's because you're not living by faith. You're not accessing that which you have. Remember James? We, I think we read it, I want to say, on Monday. I'm not positive. Maybe it was Monday and I think it was Sunday's message. too. I've done this twice. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him, let him ask of God. Now, when he asks, there's one stipulation. He needs to ask in faith, believing. You see, when we approach the throne of grace and we know he has what we need and we know he desires to give us what we need, 
That's the disposition that receives. You see, we honor God by receiving from his overflow, from his bounty. You want to honor God. I know it sounds strange because most of us are so sheepish. Come boldly under his throne of grace and say, God, I want to honor you by taking from what you have given to me. If I supplied Hudson with the materials to live his life, like say I gave him a, a computer for this, I gave him food for this, and he left the food there and he's starving, and he didn't use the computer to make you know, income, you know, he's like, hey buddy, you could, I gave you this. I supplied you everything you needed for your editing career in film. And he doesn't even use it, he's like, and he's complaining. He's like, yeah, daddy, I, I'm just so weak and so frail and so thin, it's like, I thought you were a good father. Well, that's a strange thing, honor me, by eating the food and making the yum sounds when you do. Mmm, this is so good. And that makes daddy feel good, right? Because I worked hard on that barbecue. And when you're working on your computer, you're like, daddy, thank you for supplying me what I needed. You see, this is the relationship we have with God. He has supplied everything we need. The question is, are we ready to use it? Are we ready to grasp it? Are we ready to boldly enter into that supply room and gain access to what he has given to us? Unlimited supply. Whoa! Big word when you say unlimited. All that is needed for life and godliness. So when you take the words life and godliness, there's not a lot else that you need. Okay? So life is everything you need for life. Okay? That covers a lot of ground, right? But then there's this other dimension of godliness. That's godly behavior. So we are called to exhibit the image of God in this world. You try that in your own strength. Apart from him, you can't do it. But he has given you everything you need for all the practical needs of life and all the practical needs of shining forth the glory of God in and through your body. That's pretty amazing. When you catch that vision, the sheepishness begins to you know, sort of ebb out of your life and the boldness enters in. God, I want to enter into battle and I am ready to fight these nasty Nazis because you are supplying me everything I need to be able to win. It's exciting. Father, I ask that you would showcase these realities, these truths of your supply, of your sap, of your Holy Spirit, of your pipeline of grace to our soul. Whatever metaphor links with us, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would catch it afresh today and that we would approach that throne of grace because every day, every moment of every day is a time of need where we may purloin, we may access, we may gain that grace that is needed, that grace that is sufficient for all things. Lord Jesus, we love you and submit to you this morning. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily weekdays at 8.15 a.m., weekends at 9.15 a.m. Join us at live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.